0: As we open God's Word this morning, let's just ask Him to make these words leap out at us this morning. So that we're not just reading His Word, but that it is speaking to us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we open Your Word this morning, we know that the living God breathed out His living Word. It was written down by men who were guided by your Holy Spirit, and we have it now in written form, Lord, may we read your word not just as a book, but may we read it as the word of God breathed out to us. Lord, make it come alive in us and change us into the image of your Son. Lord, as we look into the future today, as we look at what is to come, Lord, may you bear up our souls. May we be strengthened. Because sometimes when we look around us and we see the events taking place, we can become discouraged. We can wonder, does God really know what's happening? Open our eyes that we may see the living God at work, we pray. Amen. We're going to be reading a few passages this morning because they'll cast light on the passage itself. And so I'd like you to turn firstly to Luke chapter 21, and that's where we're centering our studies. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 19 this morning. So Luke chapter 21, verse 5 to 19. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. And then turn with me, if you would, to another of the cameras on the same event. And that's from Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. The other passage is from Matthew chapter 24. We won't be going there this morning because it's very similar to the one in Luke, but we will be looking at this one specifically because it does add a little bit of color to this picture. Mark chapter 13 verse 1 to 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now let's go and look at one of those prophecies fulfilled just to add to this picture. And that's found in Acts chapter 7. And that's the history of the early church after this prophecy had been made by Jesus. Acts chapter 7. And it's a well-known story of Stephen and how Stephen was put to death by men who hated the gospel and hated Jesus Christ and hated Christianity, this new movement which had come up amongst them. This is the first martyr we read about. One of the prophecies fulfilled. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Stephen had just given his last sermon to those who were about to persecute him. And he knew he was going to die for it. And so this is the instance where they actually put him to death. Now when the crowds heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. That's how angry they were. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Imagine that. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And for those of us who know the scriptures, that means he died. And Saul, who would rather later be called Paul, Saul approved of his execution. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of him who were, of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So there we see one of those prophecies come true. And now I want you to turn to A prophecy which is still to take place, which is going to affect you and I. And that's to be found in Revelation. And it's in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, and verse 9. And we'll read through to verse 11. When he, that is the Lamb, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, if you're listening to that for the first time, it might sound all weird to you. But as we go through this passage this morning, I pray that God will make sense of it in your soul and that you will see the relevance of his word to you as you sit here this morning. At 4.33 in the morning on the 26th of December 2003, an earthquake, a severe earthquake, hit the city of Bam in Iran, causing very serious damage to many buildings. 53 minutes later, at 5.26 in the morning, the main earthquake struck. 6.3 on the rest 40,000 killed. 30,000 wounded. We had our own events, didn't we, in Christchurch not too long ago. But no idea compared to this. 40,000 killed. You see, the pre-shock was serious with buildings coming down, but it's, it was only an indication of what was to come a few minutes later. The idea of a, pre, of a serious pre-shock or a, as a warning of a catastrophic main shock, is the key to understanding Luke chapter 21. As we read of these events happening in Luke chapter 21, they speak about a pre-shock and then a main shock which is to come. And if you remember those two, that picture, it will help you to understand the way Jesus describes to his disciples what is to come. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was to be destroyed, yes. But that was just a pre-shock. As devastating as it was to them, to the main thing which was to come later, and which is still to come, the coming of the Son of Man. It was there as a warning of something to come, which was far greater. And in the timeline of history, these things had to happen in this way. So, what we're going to do over today and over next Sunday is we're going to look at these preempts of things that are to come. And then during next Sunday, we're going to look at the two main events, the destruction of the temple, what happened there with Jerusalem, and then also what will happen when the Son of Man comes. And we're going to try and fit all that into one Sunday. Pray for me. And so let's look at this passage this morning, as Jesus speaks to his disciples and gives them some indication, because remember, this is the last time he's with them. After these events, he's going to be taken away from them. He's going to be crucified. Then he'll see them for a short while and then he's going to ascend. And the next time they'll see him is with us when he comes again. So while they were still in the temple grounds, he just spoke to them about this widow and the rich bringing their gifts. And as they are walking across to the Mount of Olives where they sleep at nights and remember this is winter time in Israel, so it's quite cold there. Remember Jesus hasn't got a place to go and stay in that night. And so him and the disciples are in the uh on the Mount of Olives over there, just kind of roughing it at nights with their cloaks around them. And as they are walking out towards the Mount of Olives, his disciples are making conversation, I guess. Because they were in this temple grounds and the temple itself was impressive. It was built to be impressive. And they comment on how beautiful the temple is. They walk past these massive big stones of the temple buildings. Those stones put together by Herod the Great as he started to modify the temple as a gift to the people and also to his own ego, of course, because he loved to build And he had started this work in 19 BC, so that was um, way before Jesus had come. And this building was impressive. They used giant big blocks of marble. Josephus tells us that some of these great pillars of polished marble were over 60 feet long in length. Now that's a massive block of stone. And they had them lining the temple grounds. And in the main temple building. And in the walls there were big blocks of stone, 60 foot by by 7 foot. That is a massive block of of stone. And these big blocks of stone were in the walls. And inlaid in these stones were plates of gold. And also offerings that various people had given to the temple. Herod the Great himself had given great big golden vines with Grape clusters the size of a man. And these were put up on the temple walls. And as they walked across the floors, the floors were made of variegated marble. Impressive. You couldn't help but be overawed when you walked into the temple by the majesty of this whole building. And so as the disciples are leaving this, they make small talk. I guess, with Jesus, and they say, "Isn't this, is this impressive Lord, look at this great place, look at these beautiful stones, look at these offerings on the walls, this guilt And then Jesus says something, and he had been saying these things to them before, but he says something which would have shaken their world that day. He says, I tell you, there will come a day when not one of these massive big blocks of stone, not one stone will remain on the other. It took the construction workers, and if you're a builder here today, it took the construction workers years to build these walls. They didn't have modern cranes like we do. They had to use solid manpower and Roman ingenuity with engineering. And they had to put all these blocks together. And here Jesus is saying that there will come a day when not one of these stones will stand on another. Lord, how can this be? The temple is the centre of our world. We come here every day to worship you. We come here every day. It's it's our culture. It's unthinkable that this massive big structure will be torn down. How is that possible? And we see this conversation which happens, and Luke doesn't record it like this. He says it kind of just happens there, but Matthew tells us and Mark tells us that this conversation happened a little later when they were on the Mount of Olives. And there were four characters there with Jesus. Peter, James, John and Andrew. Those closest to the Lord. They kind of get alongside the Lord and they say, Lord, when will these things be? Tell us. Just give us some signs so that we'll be ready. We need to prepare these other disciples. We need to tell people about this. But when will these things be, Lord? And what will be the signs of of the coming of the end of the age? And being good Jews, of course, they wanted signs. They always wanted signs. Jews wanted signs all the time. And so they say, Lord, what signs show us, tell us, so that like we measure things, we can be prepared for these things, Lord. You see, in their thinking, they thought that all these things would happen at the same time. If the temple was destroyed, well, that must be the end of civilization. That must be the end of the world. But Jesus teaches them something different. He says, the temple will be broken down, but that's not the end yet. It is a sign of something much greater which will come. You must be ready for both. And so he makes these remarkable prophecies. He'd already hinted at these. Remember the story of the master and his minas, where he said this, this rich man went away and he left these minas, this money, with his servants and he said, I want you to invest these on my behalf. And then he went away for a long time and then he came back And he judged whether his servants were ready for his return by the way that they'd invested the money, remember? And that whole analogy there was a picture of the Son of Man going away and then returning at some future date and there would be judgment. So he'd been hinting right throughout his ministry that these things would happen. Mark describes it as birth pangs. When you see the temple destroyed, it's a birth pang. Of something, it's a sign of something far greater to come—the actual birth. And those of you who've given birth to children, you'll know what that's like. Us men, we have no idea. When the birth pangs come, they're bad, right? But the actual event is bad, but then there's great joy. That's the theory. Well, it's the same here. Mark says. When these events happen that Jesus will be describing, these are the birth pangs. But it's leading to something which will be a great event, but it will bring great joy too. So let's look at these things. What will happen before the Lord returns? Every one of us needs to know that because the Son of Man hasn't returned yet. And if you're not used to hearing these things, if you haven't been to church much, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to this earth, He died for people, He died for you and me. But then he was resurrected on the third day and he went away from this earth. But he promised to return again. In the future, he will come. And we are expecting him any day because many of these events that he's spoken about have already happened. So what are some of these events that will happen before his return? Well, the first thing that's pointed to here is deception. Deception will happen, verse 8. And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Interesting. Deception will happen before Christ comes. There will be many false messiahs. There will be much false teaching around. Jesus says, do not follow them. You are warned. Do not follow them. You see, right through the history of the church... Right from Acts, when the early church starts, right until today, there have been many who have said, I am the Christ, follow me. If you switch on your television set, you will hear many false messiahs there. You will hear lots of false teaching happening there. And the Lord says to you and I, one of the signs before I come is, there will be those who deceive. Do not be deceived. If we are not to be deceived, that means we are to know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, how are you going to know if you're being deceived or not? So how do we get to know the truth? We need to be studying the truth. We need to know what the truth is. We need to recognize what the truth is. So that when we hear untruth, it's recognizable. Otherwise, we will be deceived. As sure as day turns into night, we will be deceived if we do not know what the truth is. You see, for centuries, Satan has been using false teachers to lead people astray, to blind their hearts. And even here in our own town, in our own country, people are being deceived on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And maybe you are one of those. We're all off on, we are off on spiritual tangents. Because we do not know the truth. We haven't been studying God's word as we should. And so when people come up with these hypotheses which sound very tangible and very real, people follow them. They think it's the truth. And in so doing, they're led astray. And it leads to great hurt and it will lead ultimately to chaos and destruction. You see, there have been date-setters in every age. Those who say, Jesus Christ or the end of the world is going to happen on this and this day. Well, Jesus also says to us, if anyone says to you that you know, that they know when it's going to happen, they are a deceiver. Because there's only one who knows the time and the day when the Son of Man returns, Matthew chapter 24 verse 36, and that is the Father Himself. Only God knows when Jesus will return. If anyone ever says to you they know a date and a day, they are a deceiver. Do not follow them. And Jesus warns as it comes closer to the end times, as it comes closer to his return, there will be more and more and more people saying, this is the day or it's going to be then. Be warned. Be on your guard. Do not be deceived, says Jesus Christ. Keep your head about you. Guard your spiritual life. Spend time in God's word. Study it, know the truth, know the signs to look for, and then you will not be deceived. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter, and we're going to look at this passage again next week. Second Peter chapter three, verse seventeen and eighteen. Second Peter chapter three, verse seventeen and eighteen. This is the apostle Peter. And again, he warns you and I and his readers. If you look at just glance across chapter 3, he's speaking about the day that the Lord will come and the signs. And we're going to read that whole chapter next week. But once he's given us those things, he says this, verse 17. You therefore, beloved God's people, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. And lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. If we are not preparing our hearts, we will be deceived. What are you doing about it? I'll come back to that again right at the end. What are we doing about preparing our hearts? Second sign that the Son of Man is coming again is that there will be much disruption. So we'll have deception, but there'll be disruption too, verses 9 to 11. Major disruption on this earth. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from the heaven. If you've got a television set and you turn it on, what do we see? Great disruption. Remember a few years ago, major economic disruption. The whole earth. The whole world, well not uh, some of the eastern countries, but the whole of the western world went into major decline. Why? Because of economic chaos. You switch on your television sets now and you see the war in Syria. And images of chaos and disorder, nation fighting itself, nation against nation, disruption happening, earthquakes happening. And what is our human reaction to these? If you're a normal human being, you must wonder. And it might even lead to terror. But Jesus says, this is not the end yet. Yes, there'll be a breakdown of international relations among nations. There'll be major disasters. There'll be quakes, plagues, famine, terrors, heavenly signs. And the media put these things in front of us. The historian Josephus even records that in the time... Of um, the early church that there was a comet in the shape of a sword which hung pointed above Jerusalem for one whole year. It's a recorded fact. Well, if that wasn't a sign. You see, all these things have to happen so that history moves forward to its climax. There are signs that we have to look for. But the signs are there to warn us And as as Christians, we are not to be distracted and alarmed by all these happenings around us. We are not to be like the world around us. Medical people tell us that when people see all these things happening around them, it's leading to major depression across the world. Because people see this, they say, I don't want to have little kids. I don't want to bring kids into a world like this. And it leads to depression in their lives. And it leads to suicides. Because they say, is this all that the world is? Look at it. Well, you and I as believers are to have a different perspective. He says to us, these things must happen as a sign, as an earthquake, that something great is to come. The Son of Man is about to come. And so we are to prepare ourselves. J.C. Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle, is a famous dead guy if you don't know him. He said this. Listen to what he said. Very insightful. He said, while others are occupied in national conflicts, and political speculations, the Christian must steadily seek first the kingdom of God. In so doing, he shall feel his feet upon a rock when the foundations of the earth are out of course and the kingdoms of this world are going to ruin. Wise. When all around us is chaos, We as believers have got one task. To see the kingdom of God coming. How do we prepare for that kingdom? By seeing that our souls are guarded. By feeding on God's word. By being dependent on his spirit. And by telling people around us. That they are to be ready. That Jesus is there for them too. You see, it's so easy to get caught up in all these other things. It's so easy to take sides in the wars that are happening. But by taking sides, we are being distracted from our task as believers. We have one Lord to serve. We are to take one message into the world. We've got one set of marching orders, and that is what Jesus Christ has given us. Let's stay focused on our orders. Don't get distracted. Jesus says, these things will happen so that the kingdom of God comes. Be prepared. Then he warns his disciples. There's a third thing that will happen. He says, but before all these things happen, you see he's been looking into the future. He speaks to his disciples now. Remember, they're sitting there on the Mount of Olives. He says, but before all these major earthquakes and all these things happen, something's going to happen to you people. Are you prepared? So he comes a little forward in time, closer to where they are. Denigration will happen, verses 12 to 17. It's going to affect you disciples. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you, my disciples, and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to be a witness Settle therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. I wonder if that was the answer they were expecting from Jesus sitting there on the mountain. You see, up to now, His disciples hadn't experienced much persecution, had they? They'd they'd seen the Pharisees going at Jesus. The Pharisees had probably had a go at them too, to try and pull them away from the Lord. But they hadn't seen real persecution. It was about to start. And Jesus warns them. He gives them an earthquake. He says, wake up. You're about to be tortured for your faith. Are you ready? Persecution, imprisonment, trials are going to come your way. But, my disciples, see it as an opportunity for testimony. And with God's help, it will become one. I will give you my spirit to speak through you during those times. So don't be worried about what you will say during those times. It will be an opportunity for testimony. Think of the history of the Apostle Paul. We've got the benefit of hindsight, don't we? Paul went through a lot of persecution. He landed up in prison. And one of the passages he speaks about, this is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. This is what the Apostle Paul says, As a prophecy come true of these things. I want to show you that these things happened. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who'd been in prison. This is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me past things has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, it came true. Just as Jesus prophesied here. The Apostle Paul left himself in the hands of God himself. And what people thought was adversity became a moment of speaking out for the gospel's sake. Why am I saying all this? Because Jesus warns you and I, and if you go and look at the rest of Scripture, there's going to come a time when the church itself is going to come under extreme persecution. It's going to be a time just before the Lord returns. And if you and I are still alive, we don't know when the Lord's coming. If you and I are still alive, we, the church, are going to go through extreme persecution. Some of these things may happen to you and I. I don't know what's going to happen 10 years, 5 years, 20 years from now. It may be that family members will turn us into a government which might be anti-Christ. And we will be persecuted for our faith. It might be that you will lose your employment because your boss is anti-Christian. But the Bible tells us emphatically there will come a time when you and I, if we are the church, will face persecution. But here's the truth. When these things come upon us, says the Lord, see it as an opportunity to witness about Jesus Christ. And He will help you in that moment. Because God is not affected by these things that happen, is He? He's not affected by world events. He's not affected by a boss who is anti-Christian. His spirit is still inside you and He will speak through you. He has said it will happen. We have to take courage from it. But be warned. And it leads beautifully into this declaration, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 21. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You see, when we are in these momentous events, whenever that might happen, this is the Lord's promise to you and I. There's two parts to it. Not a hair of your head will perish. Now, he's not speaking literal hair here, is he? Because there's lots less to do with me. He's saying, I will look after you, down to the degree of not a hair of your head will perish. I will look after you in those moments. And in the history of the church, in some cases, some people were physically spared. Paul and Silas, think of that time when they were in prison, when that earthquake was happening. Acts chapter 16, And when the prison was falling down around them, God preserved them through that. They didn't die. And yet later, Paul was martyred for his faith. So does that mean this verse isn't true? He lost his life. You see, the Lord is promising more than just care here. He's saying, I will look after you to the very bitter end. Your body may be killed, but you will live Forever. Like Stephen, you will open your eyes and you will see the Son of Man. He will save you. You will go into eternal life. He promises everlasting life. We need to take courage in these things. It doesn't matter what they do to us, we will see the Son of Man. And then he says the second thing, he says, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You see, when great persecution came upon the church, many of them fell away. Scripture records it for us. When persecution came on the church, many left the faith. They no longer served the Lord. It was too hard. I don't know about you, but I can count on two hands the number of people I know who are no longer following the Lord. They started off with a confession of faith, but now they are just in the world. The the Bible warns us about this. You see, today too many have fallen away. And I can't read your heart. I don't know what you are going through specifically. But you may even be tempted to leave these things behind. It's too hard. What is the Lord saying to you? He's giving you a promise here this morning. Here's his promise to you. He says to you, if you persevere, you will gain your life you will be saved. Now, please, understand me. He's not speaking about salvation here. He's not saying that if you walk away from the Lord, then you will walk and you will be destroyed forever. He's not saying that here. He's he's not speaking about salvation. We know from Scripture that those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and it's been real in their lives, they will never fall away. He will hold on to them. And though you are tempted to walk away, and though you might even walk away for years, He will in the end turn your head back to Himself and He will restore you to Himself. He's promised that in His Word. John chapter 18 verse 9 says this, I have not lost one of those you gave me. Not one. You won't be the first. Your son, your daughter who's walked away, from the Lord, who once confessed the name of the Lord, they will not be lost if that work is genuine in their lives, God will restore them to himself. He will not lose even them. We are speaking here about seeing in eternal life to the end. God will always draw back to himself and bring into eternity those who are truly saved. He's promised that He will not break his promises. He has said himself. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews chapter 13. So we can take courage from that. He's speaking here rather about our responsibility as human beings. He will do his work, but our responsibility, what is that? It is to endure. When the going gets tough, the Christian gets going. We are to endure. The Holy Spirit helps us to stand and to endure. It's speaking about God and man at work. Which passage immediately comes to mind then? Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 to 13. It says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to work and to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, we work with God. It's 100% God in our lives. He saves us by His grace alone. But it is 100% our perseverance in the faith as well. We are to commit ourselves and then to push through and to gain our salvation as God makes all that possible. It's all of His grace available to you and I as we endure through this life. Do you get the balance there? And if you're tempted to fall away, He will draw you back. But the sad truth is this too, that those who have never belonged to Him, even though they made a confession, when they walk away, they are lost. Because they never belong to Christ. And so as these disciples hear these two promises to them, that not a hair of their head will be lost, and that God will preserve them through this time Um, When they go through hard times, they must have been really encouraged, even though they were facing imminent hard times. And then Matthew gives us a last little instance, and he adds in in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, here's another sign of the end times, when Jesus is about to appear. This is it. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Why do we carry on telling our neighbours? It's to, so that the kingdom of God will come. Because the Lord has promised when the gospel has been proclaimed to the whole world, he will come. Now people seem to think, oh well, I know the, the gospel hasn't gone out to this little small, small sub-tribe in this nation, way out in the thick somewhere, so that means I've still got some time. You can't see what God can see He's put the revelation of who He is out in the heavens. And so all nations can see that God lives. So He can come at any time. We are to be ready. We have to tell our neighbours, but we are to be ready at the same time. Alright, what can we get from this? Four things very quickly. I'm just going to summarise them again. Firstly, do not be deceived. Do not follow those false TV teachers and their teaching. There'll be many of them that come across your way. Timothy warns about this in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 2. He says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I want to put to you this morning, do not be deceived. How are you not deceived? Know the truth. Study God's word. Make it part of your heart. Ask the Lord to make it alive in you so that you can recognize untruth. Because the difference between truth and untruth is a very small little difference. Don't be deceived. Secondly, be encouraged. God is in control. When you put on the news and you see all these major events and who knows how it will affect this little country of New Zealand of ours later do not be overcome. Do not become fearful. Know that these things have to happen because God is controlling history towards one point and that is the coming again of His Son. And so in your life, when things seem to go chaotic and you can't make head or tail of what is happening to you, no, know God is in control. It is part of His plan. It's all leading to one thing. His Son will come again. And if you're a believer, you will see His Son. So don't be overcome by what is happening to you. With Paul you can say from Romans chapter 8, verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen? Do you believe that? Thirdly, when opposition comes against you, see it as an opportunity. Do not worry about your defence when you are persecuted because if you are a Christian, the Lord will turn that into a time of testimony. Are you ready what His Spirit will say through you? Are you ready? Is your relationship with the Lord such That you are in constant relationship and listening to what the Spirit is saying to you. The Lord has promised He will help you. And then lastly, stand. When all turns against you, persevere and take a firm stand. Matthew chapter 24, and this is my closing verse, says this. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Tell me, my friend, you're sitting with us here in this building this morning, but will you be one of those whose love will grow cold? The Bible has warned us. And the only way that will happen is if you veer away, if you are not in God's Word, if it isn't living in you and warming your soul daily, you will become cold. Be warned. Trust in Him. Have faith. And what is faith? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, says Hebrews. Be convicted, be convinced that Jesus Christ is coming again. And though your eyes cannot see Him now, you trust that He will come because He has said so. Believe Him. Trust Him. And then look to Him. Serve Him. And wait for His coming. We have great expectations ahead of us. Don't be overcome. Don't become disheartened. Look to the coming of the Son of Man. But be prepared for that coming. Amen. Lord our Heavenly Father, as human beings you've given us these visible, I guess these measurable things that we can see. But Lord, help us not to be overcome by them. Help us not to to measure your coming again by what we can see around us. Lord, help us rather to look to your word, to look to your truth, and to keep our souls ready by being in your word, by being in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Help us to be ready for your coming. And help us, Lord, when life turns against us, to be living witnesses of the power of change that Jesus Christ can bring about in our lives. May the world around us see that when they are in a panic and in chaos, that we are standing on a rock, the rock of the truth, the rock who is God himself. Help us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for any that are in this building that still do not know Jesus Christ. Lord, once again, a warning has gone out that there is still time to come to Jesus Christ and to meet Him as their Savior. The warning is going out. The time has not yet come when You will reappear. Lord, I pray that through Your Spirit they will be drawn to You and be saved from trying to save themselves that they may be saved by the love that is available through Jesus Christ today. Do your work, I pray. Draw those to you as well. Use us in this week, Lord, to take out the message of the kingdom to our friends and our family so that they too will be ready when you return. Amen.